Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Rescue the radio. Oh yeah, saving souls again <laughs> here on Sink, Swimmer Fly. Me and Tyler in the studio with our guest, Jesse Nelson. Saving souls. Saving, definitely saving souls today. Um, she's the owner of, owner-operator of Her Home, which is a local three-quarter house for women. Incredibly strong, badass chick here. We're trying to do an all-women's June, so look for more strong women coming out on our show. We're real excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So what made you want to open up a three-quarter house? Oh, my Was this like a long-term dream or something that you always had in mind? Or were you just like looking to help out these girls that are struggling? Well, I've always been, um, I've always been for women, about women. Um, And I think that um, when, uh, you know, when I got to a place where I felt like I was strong enough you know, and I was ready to go back to work because I was a stay-at-home mom when I had my daughter. And I stayed home for about five years, and then I was like, all right, I need to find my purpose. And I didn't want to get back into um, working at Cadenzia or like... Yeah, in, you in worked ha- in mental health services for quite a while. Yeah, I was kind of burned out. That burned me out. Right, Cadenzia will do that to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I knew that um, I wanted to do something um, meaningful, I feel like, um, what's the point in all this if it's not giving back to people? Right. You know what I mean? Especially when we've been blessed through, uh, the process of recovery and like getting our lives together, giving it back and being selfless. So you're looking for an opportunity to be selfless. And this has been a big undertaking for you. I've watched you go through this whole process of, you know, getting everything that you needed, finding a place, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. What do you think has been the biggest challenge? Um, well, I think through the process, there were big challenges that I came across. So there was different ones during different processes, I guess. Um, but, you know, it was just, I felt like I've never done this before. And I had really no idea what I was doing. And but I just needed to start, you know, and I think that um, the fear of just jumping in with both feet, um, was really strong for me, but I just learned through through recovery. I've learned that fear is an illusion and it's a lie. Mm-hmm. So I just did it anyways. And the universe, God, whatever you want to call her, him, <laughs> um, just guided me. And right. so, like, I really didn't have to put in a lot of thought, but I had to put in a lot of work. Mm-hmm. You know, that's been like my thing over the past year, especially like going to school and everything towards the end. It was everything seemed way worse in my head than it ever actually was to just like go out and do it. So I I had this little mantra of like, don't don't think, just do, because I would talk myself out of it anytime I would have an idea or I'd have to write a paper or do really anything. I would I would 
spend a lot of time dreading it before actually doing it. And then once I, it was actually done or I was in the process, it was never as bad as I imagined it to be. It's always been like that my entire life. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, just like my head is the one that gets me in trouble more than anything. It stops me from pursuing my dreams or things that I've always wanted to do. So I've um, developed this, this, I guess, this confidence in knowing that my brain um that my thoughts are an illusion Mm -hmm. and then you know I just took that and just and so now I feel I'm at a place that I can do anything I can I I used to say that but now I really believe I can do anything I I want that I mean so we're all you're in recovery correct yes Mm -hmm. well I knew that but listeners know that but I think that is something I've been dealing with a lot lately, actually. I've been clean be three years this summer, and I was so numb or high, and the only fears I had for the longest time was, like, how I was going to get the money or how I was going to get the drugs. I had no, like, fears. You know, all this stuff that you come to fear of when you get clean because it, like, opens your mind up to, like, oh, my, you know. There's things other than me out there. Yeah, but it has been, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about, having that confidence. And I think especially when you you get clean initially you've created so much damage and then you kind of come back to reality um and it might not be reality might not be what you think it is because you're so disillusioned or whatever so battling that fear and doubt and fear of the future and fear i fuck too much stuff up fear like can i come back from this am i going to be successful in my life that that really hits home with me especially where i'm at right now i feel you right I think that a lot of people in addiction are really motivated off fear. Um, At least I was, but it took me a long time to realize that, you know, I had to come to grips with like, I was trying to escape from my reality. And that's really what it was because I was afraid to face the things that were going wrong. And uh, now that I can look at those with a clear head, you know, I I have a lot more of an advantage when I go into those situations because I can recognize those distorted thoughts and, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you take the drugs and alcohol away, and then that's kind of the easy part. The hard part is like, oh, shit, why did I do drugs and alcohol to begin with? Yeah, right. You know what I mean? All this other baggage that's yeah. going on um, that we have to sort through and and make our way. Yeah. Um, but it's a process lots of people get through, you know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. amazing and beautiful to be able to have that confidence that you're talking about to feel like we really could accomplish anything, you know what I mean? We have the ways and means now to support ourselves and to support our dreams and go out there and chase it if it's something that we want. Um, it's practice, though. I think, like, when I first came into the program, it was the little things. Like, am I going to be able to do step one on time by the 15th to meet my sponsor? <laughs> and then I was able to do that. And so I build on that, you know. And then I remember, like, it kind of, like, when I graduated from college, that was a huge one, you know. I look back and I was like, wow, I finished college. Did you do, did you do that clean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was in high school. I was DF student. Like I was, I was a badass. Like I was just. I Out was, there causing trouble. I'm surprised they let me graduate. <laughs> I mean, my senior year, they voted me most likely to get arrested. Wow. Out of the males nice. and the females. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, like, man, I can't believe they did that. Like, almost embarrassed. And nowadays, they would never announce that. You sue the school probably, right, you know? Right, exactly. But I can't was like, say this about my child. 
<laughs> I was like embarrassed. And then I realized, I was like, well, you know what? That's something to be proud of, I guess, you know? So I ran with it. And, um, yeah, at and, that time in active addiction, you do take pride in like, yeah, I'm fucked up or like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a badass or I'm an asshole or I get in trouble, you know, yeah. but I'm sorry. Continue. No, no. It's where did you, wait, where did you go to high school? I went to Harbor Creek High okay. School. Yeah. I was pretty sure you were from around here. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yep. you were in addiction in high school. Well, I was a partier. Yeah. You know what I mean? I look back and I was just, I was one of those leather jacket, um, you know, I had worked, uh, I always worked since I was like, well, I mowed grass when I could, when I was little. And then I was a paper girl. I was a paper girl. I was riding my dirt bike. um, Delivering papers. Delivering papers. And then, so I always had money on me. And my very first job, my real job, I uh, was a gas attendant at Sunoco. Mm -hmm. And I would hang out with the guys in the garage. And um, they would sell me, you know, like an eighth or 16th. And that's what I would do with my money. And then like, and then I was like, I always had the weed because I always worked, you know, and then my very first car was a Z28 Camaro. Oh, that's pretty (laughs) badass ride. And I furred it all with leopard. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I had like the Farrah Fawcett feather hair. Nice. Yeah. And always wore, um, plaid shirts with wife beaters underneath and stuff. Flannels and stuff. So little tomboy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. That's awesome. I, I got a I got a really cool image in my head right now from all I that too. all that nostalgia. It's awesome. And did, at that point, did you ever like imagine yourself like going to college or anything? Or was oh that- no, I was a burnout. Like and and I was into sports too. I was into sports, but I could never make the team because I always got ISS, so they would never allow me to actually to, play. actually I would do tryouts and then ISS like detention ISS was in school suspension I always had ISS and so it was like after my my I think my my junior year trying out for softball because I played all through grade school and stuff second base and and then I got I got stuck in we had a house party and I got stuck in the attic um in my bathing suit because we were all like in the jacuzzi and then the cops came and and half the people ran out the window. Most of them got caught. You know, all the ones that went down in the basement. Of course, right. I wasn't going down in the basement. I went up in the attic, stayed in insulation. And and then <laughs> it was like the cops were there for so long. And I just remember thinking to myself, I got tryouts. I got tryouts. Yeah. And so, again, I my 11th grade, once I missed tryouts again, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm done. You know what I mean? And But I didn't think – I didn't have an addiction. I was just more of a partier. Right. You know, and and then obviously it once I turned into the uh, pickle, I was no longer. You know what I, I wonder it is, is that like a, a prelude to addiction? Like you just use for so long that something snaps in you and you become an addict because of these choices you've made mm-hmm. or like it was always something inside you that was leading to that. Because I was very similar. Like I wasn't, you know, shooting heroin in high school, but I was, I was partying on the yeah. weekends, drinking, com- getting high I every was coming, day, coming into school, smelling like blunts. Yeah. Um, I remember like junior year, drank a bunch of liquor just by myself before the first day of school, which I'm thinking back now, like that's probably a bad <laughs> sign. Meaning something, right? <laughs> like alone drinking, you know, so do you, what do you think drugs? I always find that fascinating. I think drugs do different things for different people. Mm-hmm. What do you think that they offered you 
at that time? Are you yeah. just trying to be a badass and party? Yeah. Or do you think they were like filling some void? Yeah. Well, you know, I look back now, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So, you know, at the time I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Even early in recovery, I still had no idea what was going on. But I look back and I was um I was a sad little kid before before I even got onto drugs or anything. So like I'm better off today than I was before I even picked up. Mm-hmm. You know, cuz I was um I noticed that I I I obsessively washed my hands. Like I always felt like I had dirt on my hands and um and I counted things. I counted my steps and I had to be I had to be tucked in a bed a certain way or like I I had really bad anxiety. Like I, I would just like lose my mind, you know, I would freak out and stuff. And so like I could see right there I had some emotional issues as a young child. And when I found something to take me out of my fears, which I didn't know they were fears at the time, you know, right. that it like dissolved that. It like it like fixed it for me. Mm-hmm. And then I felt all better until it didn't work anymore. But Um, my friends now, my friend, she's my best friend since first grade. She partied all the way up. She did exactly tripped on acid with me, did exactly what I did. And then there was a point in her life where she got married and she was done and I couldn't be done. I, so I think that like, it does play a part of like having some emotional issues as a child. And then your like environment, my parents partied. And they were very, they fought all the time, very aggressive. So I was around violence a lot, you know. It's interesting. You said that you feel better off now like than before you ever picked up. So almost like drugs and alcohol served a purpose in your life at at a certain point. And I think that came up in our last podcast. We were talking about that because the drugs like saved us from ourselves, you know, because we were, we all kind of had this common bond of like being depressed or being unhappy with who we are and the drugs gave us an outlet rather than like physically harming ourselves or just like ending it and committing suicide because that's where i felt like i can't speak for everybody that was at the table last night but that's where a lot of us were um feeling and these drugs just kind of become a coping skill and then they become the only coping skill and uh you know they they definitely serve their purpose and like kept me alive but at the same time we're trying to bring us down and kill me kill at least kill me how long, how long have you been clean jesse um i've been i've been around for about 17 years yeah but i am i'm very honest with my recovery and i have been 100 percent clean for five years five years mm-hmm. I, re- I remember when i met you you had like 10 and i was super impressed by that and yeah. then um the level of honesty to like re commit or Mm because like i feel like what happened to you a lot of people would have really just brushed that under the rug very easily and been like you know this is fine and not had the courage and the bravery to come back and be like look i made a mistake or i did something that um wasn't really keen to my spiritual principles and my personal beliefs you know yeah because i'm the only one sleeping on my pillow at night you know what i mean what had happened what happened um i I got on Xanax for flying because I, after having my, my daughter, I was 12 years clean after having my daughter, she was colic for a whole year and it was just, it did something to my psyche. It just made me like nervous and very anxious all the time. And then I started flying and my husband and I travel a lot 
and I would stand up on the plane and say, do you feel that? Like it was like my son was embarrassed and I couldn't stop. It was just like I thought I was going to die every time I got on a plane. So um, I got on Xanax just to fly and, and, and a PRN. Don't don't give me a PRN. I'm an addict. You know what I mean? Right. And so like I So for everybody a PRN is take as needed. Yeah. And so like I just did it for flying. I was like, you know, obviously I'm an addict. I know this. I have enough enough information to know I can't do enough anything. Spiritual strength and you know, yeah. My mom my mom takes I don't think my mom's an addict. I don't think so. But she she has a P I think she does that with Xanax too. Because mm-hmm. she gets on a plane and she freaks out. Oh yeah. I mean, I would yell and stuff. Do you feel that? You know, my, my husband, my son would be embarrassed. But and then, um, you know, I caught myself like having anxiety outside of the plane and just I would take it, you know, responsibly. Um, and that was OK. But then one one time my my son and I got in an argument and he moved out. He was like 17, a little dick, you know, <laughs> and, and and he moved out and I went in the room and I took a Xanax and I went to bed and the next day I just sat there and I was like, dude, I'm, that was fucked up. I'm right? going to go smoke crack eventually. Yeah. I mean, like I knew that I was going to die. It was like so strong in me. And I was like, this is it, man. This is, this is, I would have never done this before. Like I, I would be able to handle things by using my tools, by calling my sponsor, but I'm not doing that anymore. I found another solution, and this solution almost killed me before. Right. And I, I knew that, and I had to have one of my really good friends. I sat down with her during lunch, and I told her, and um, she's a therapist. She's in recovery, and she said, dude, you, you relapsed. And I was like, you fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> How could you say that to I me? Was, I, I was I was so mad at her. I didn't talk to her for weeks, but I went home and I knew it. And I remember sitting there on my back porch and um for days I had this red cardinal sitting on um sitting on um my shed looking at me for days and I never thought anything of it. I just looked at the cardinal, but it just stayed there. And then after I got home from lunch and I sat there and I realized I really realized I looked at this cardinal and I was like I'm gonna die mm-hmm. you know and that's what the cardinal was there to let me know that you're gonna die right and I said I don't want to die it must have been like a higher power moment for you absolutely and I said and so I had to like kick my disease the hardest way I could possibly do it was by being humble mm-hmm. and, and and putting myself in the position where you know, the ego needed to go away. And so I swallowed it and it was embarrassing and it, it was hard talking, you know, 12 years of like having almost the most clean time in NA to nothing. And what I realized is that was 100% pure ego and mm-hmm. it saved my life because that ego would have killed me. Yeah. And NA for anybody listening, it's not familiar, although we, we talk about it on here a lot. Um, there's a moment when something like this happens where you go in and in front of your peers, you, you reintroduce with one day clean time. Um, and I think for me, something kind of, I didn't have that. I had maybe four years. It got to the point where I quit keeping track or think, thought I needed to keep track, which was a problem. Right. Um, but there's this moment where you reintroduce and some people never really get to that moment, I think, because of the fear of admitting. And then before they know it, the ego pops up, pride pops up, and you're dead. 
um, because you didn't want to walk in front of a room of people and, and say, you know, I'm an addict again. Right. You're, you're always an addict, but you know what I mean? Right? I need I to fu- reintroduce. I fucked up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I messed up. Yeah. That's one of the things that keeps me clean, honestly. I guess maybe it's a good thing. I'm just like, oh, dude, I don't want to. I don't, don't want to do, do that, that again. in front of all, all, all my again. friends, all my family. Everybody's going to yeah. judge. You know, we have these thoughts in our head like we were talking about earlier. Like everybody's going to judge me or think less of me now. And, you know, a lot of these people, I feel like, give me like a positive feeling about myself because they may look up to me. They may ask me for advice. They may, exactly. you know, and that's really hard, really challenging thing to do for sure. That's a big thing you admitted though. Yeah. Because that's something, that's something you you could have probably swept under the rug and, and been like, you know, it didn't happen. I actually had a few people with time say, are you sure you want to reintroduce? And I just, I just remember sitting there and looking at that cardinal. Mm-hmm. And my brother died from addiction. He was mm-hmm. shot in the head and murdered. And, um, and I said, I, I said, that's my brother. Mm-hmm. He's saving the Cardinals life are right known now. for that too. They're supposed to be a symbol from our ancestors or people who have passed from the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and you did it all the right way too. You know, you saw your doctor, you had a prescription, you weren't mm-hmm. buying these off the street mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, so I could see how a lot of people would be like, you know, that you're doing doctor's orders. It didn't work out for you. That's, that's fine. That's something you learn from. You don't have to call that a relapse, but I thought it was really brave the way that you handled that whole Thanks, situation. Tony. Absolutely. But I do realize that um, one thing that I do know for a fact is that I'm powerless and I am an addict. Right. And and so that was just inevitable. I just had to get clear with my ego and say, you know, this is my pride. This is my ego that, you know, I, I will die because I am an addict. Mm-hmm. Step one. Right. And one thing leads for another. You know, this disease always progresses. And like you said, like you had that moment where you were like, I'm, if I keep doing this, I'm going to end up smoking crack. (laughs) Was that your drug of choice? Well, I, um, you know, I started out, like I said, smoking weed, then drinking, then snorting Coke every once in a while, then hitting acid to mushrooms to, um, uh, ecstasy and then you know as the years progressed then I started doing oxys Vicodin had a surgery that kind of thing and then I feel like by the time oxys and coke show up you're you're well on your way you're on your way you're on your way yeah so then I went from that to uh uh what was it the next thing oh uh shooting and I, and I remember thinking to myself, I would never shoot. I would never be a junkie. Sure enough, I started shooting. And then um, detox and rehabs and methadone clinic and Suboxone program. And I remember, you know, I begged my mom to pee in a cup for me for the Suboxone program because, you know, I could still do cocaine and do Suboxone. So it was like, it was good as long as I had a clean urine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, and then and then crack and then I realized that I couldn't get off the heroin so I thought you know if I change one for another this is gonna work yeah <laughs> this right. will work yeah it's crazy that <laughs> you go to somewhere like Narcotics Anonymous or anywhere where it's addicts talking to each other and you see these parallels in behavior right because I, I was clean for several years and then uh, got off probation things were seemingly going well um and then it's like, you know, I'm working a lot this week. I'm going to get an Adderall. So that would happen once in a while. And I was like, dude, it's fine. I'm not sick. It's like eight bucks. 
you know, I'm, I got money in the bank, my rent's paid. The next thing you know, there's no Adderall. And then somebody's like, oh, I know where to get some shake and bake. You know, there's some like shitty ass meth. Right. So then I tried some of that and I was like, I think the Adderall is better. And then in my brain, I'm like, that I got ripped off. I need to get some actual meth. Yeah. You know, and all in, in the pro, everything I had learned about staying clean and being clean just at that point went out the window. I had been so disconnected from the the program and, and the people in it. Um, and then I, that led to like two years of like daily meth use and I started shooting again. And then next thing you know, you're like living in a car. Right. And with a bag o- of needles. Only hang, yeah. And you're only <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> we and Tony talk about this a lot. What's been hard for me is, um, is like the ego got so big on meth. Anything naturally, I'm, I'm really into art and I've got a talent for music and art. But in my head, it was like every note was like sent from the gods. You know, it got fucking crazy. <laughs> and then coming down from that, has it's been like a very humbling um, couple of years of coming back to reality. But yeah, but I, I thought I was fine because I wasn't dope sick. But then you get sick from from speed where you can't do anything right unless you have speed you can't function you know and when it got to that point to where i was canceling time with my son or canceling shows or not being able to work or anything because i literally i couldn't get out of bed unless i had like a 20 of meth right it's like god damn but um yeah it it's the the biggest problem for me is just thinking like i'm not an addict to get to that point and it's pretty badass that did you realize, you know, you saw that cardinal and you're like, you know what, this is like step one of like very bad terrain. Yeah. Right. So what do you do now to fly? To fly? Yeah. Do I you love have... it. Um, well, I've always been crazy. You know, I've always been, I've always been very, fr- I shouldn't say the word crazy. It doesn't matter. I've always been very free. Mm-hmm. That's one thing as, as a little kid. I didn't, I always was just Jesse. You know what I mean? If I want to, whatever I want to do, like, you know, it's just, I've always been justice. So, like, my flying changes. Like, you know, I, um, I, I got to tell you, though, what hits me the, in my heart chakra the most is really um, helping people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I, I feel like just so empowered when I help people. Like, just anything that I can do to just make somebody get better or and and i love the word empowering because i just i want to see people fly right you know what i mean i and it's 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 a gift that we can share you know we can give it away freely that's one of the big things about narcotics anonymous and 12-step fellowships is giving away It, it it it's weird the perception um we we are so used to talking about recovery and seeing people change and we know the miracles that happen with being clean um, but it's 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 strange and harsh when you when you read something or see something or hear somebody um, that like that's not necessarily the public perception. Mm-hmm. It's still got this jaded thing mm. um, to where like Very much about stigma. the Narcan, like literally in Erie News Now or whatever, they're handing out Narcan at the library. There's there's people on there like oh fucking let them die, you know fucking let them die. I've heard shit the cops have said like I'm sick of Narcan and these junkies let them die. Um, but this word empowering, you've se- we've seen people that like have been Narcaned or overdosed two, three right. times in a day, um, turn their lives around and like do something amazing, right? We've seen this shit happen. So it's, 
it's like such a beautiful thing and it is empowering. Mm-hmm. And I, I can see what you mean. Like you want to be able to do this for other, other women or other people, you know, watch them turn their lives around mm-hmm. and that boosts you up. It does. It's like, you know, I've hit so hard on the ground. I mean, just hard. Um, my bottom was just so just terrible that I feel like I bounced so high, yeah. you know, and that like, um, that like I just want to stay there and the only thing that really makes me feel anything like truly feel like and I always use this perception like when I did drugs I always wanted to feel like I was always very intense I wanted more give me more like do this you know just like anything I can do just to get the highest I possibly can but there seemed to be always that rooftop like that always that top I could never like break through and with spirituality there is no rooftop. It's just constantly expanding, yeah. evolving, and growing, and just shifting. Mm-hmm. And so, when I'm outside of myself and I'm helping others, I feel like that—that that is like my my soul just shifting and growing and learning and evolving. And I'm learning more about myself and about life. And that's my new high. Yeah, that's it right there, Tony. Right. That's my new high. So it's almost kind of a selfish thing too, you know? Right. Like that's that's my high. Right. To be truly selfless is like a very challenging thing because you're going like if you do something for somebody else, usually you get some sort of reward, whether it's like something they do in return for you or a favor back or even like our own like good feelings. Mm-hmm. Whereas to try to like separate and just do this just for those good feelings can be really has been really difficult for me because I, I always looked at things like very transactional. You know what I mean? I do this for you. You do this for me, right? And now I have to do this for somebody else just for myself, for my own betterment, for my own like positive well-being and yeah. feelings. I've really learned that. Like um, I always kind of was a give-take type person. Mm-hmm. It, it have Doing something and not expect anything but then if it didn't go my way then i'm like i guess i did have an expectation right right you realize it afterwards yeah i'm like "Uh, i guess i did have an expectation expectation but having her home Mm -hmm. really taught me that like girl if you're gonna have an expectation you're always gonna be disappointed right you know so like really the i really believe that having her home is like really selfless because you put so much into it so much heart into it and so much time and and then they relapse and but of course I know how the disease works so now I don't really have too much of an expectation Mm -hmm. as much as I used to so I feel like I've developed this all the way up to this point and then the universe was like okay it's time for like this new project because I've gotten to the place where I've accepted that Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's not a give take. It's like just give and just walk away. Right. Do you ever feel like detached from it? What do you mean? Like in my life lately, I just feel like I can't bring myself to get attached to people or situations or whatever because I mm-hmm. am afraid of the the letdown because you learn to grow and care about people. You know what I mean? As you spend time with them, as you invest your time into them and i don't like to look at it as investment but like for lack of a better term you know we invest our time into these situations or these people or these things and then it lets you down so it's a lot like sponsorship 
right sponsorship can get right right and and you go out and you see somebody relapse and you have to kind of disconnect from that you know what i mean you can't let that bother i mean it's gonna bother you no matter what but you have to let it um not overwhelm you and not take you away from the things that you need to do because we still have to function as a human being when we're upset about something or depressed about something and you know not turn back to those old ways yeah so i guess my question for you is do you ever feel like overly detached from the situations when stuff like that goes wrong um i i have i believe that i just kind of uh mastered this um issue Mm -hmm. because i know everybody has it i've been sponsoring for 15 years Mm -hmm. um and like i said earlier you know you learn the lessons and then you grow from that and it just keeps evolving and so by the time i got to her home um i am completely 100 percent attached to these girls Mm -hmm. i am in the moment i am in love with them i i i have to put the hammer down when the hammer needs put down I, I give them push-ups when push-ups, and I am just their biggest supporter, their biggest cheerleader, and but I don't have an expectation. Right. I don't have an expectation, but it took me years to come to this place. Mm-hmm. It's not something that was just easily developed. I right. cried. I used to think, what's wrong with me? What did I do wrong? I made it personal. Yeah. So now I'm just like, hey, I'm just going to love you right where you're at. Right. And and then you, everybody's responsible for their own recovery, including myself. So if I have an attachment and I take it personal, then, you know, what, what, what good is it going to do for the next person that comes right. along and stuff? So I think sometimes we also have to realize that like that tough love is still love. loving somebody, you know what I mean? Despite it hurting us and like maybe not being... I mean, it is beneficial to them, but it's beneficial in a, in a weird way. And a lot of times people, like, I don't like to understand it as tough love or whatever. I like to think of it like this person's a fucking asshole because they're not doing what I want them to do. Um, and now that I'm in a situation where I have to do that sometimes, um, I have to try to remember that, like, I'm doing this out of a place of kindness. You know what I mean? Yes, I'm upsetting this person, uh, but I'm doing this from a place of love and compassion rather than a place of like anger or resentment. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's been like a big learning process and something that Gadenzia definitely helped me out with because there were a lot of situations like when you're working in the field as a counselor um, where you have to give these people the tough love and you can't hold their hands and pat them on the back and have to kind of help people recognize like the fault in this. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's that? They say, uh, you baby an addict, you kill an addict. Right? Oh, absolutely. So I want to get more into her home, mm-hmm. like the structure. Um, and I'm sure there's probably people that are going to listen that don't even know what a three-quarter house is. Right. So would you uh, kind of explain like what her home exactly is? Sure. Um, so you have a rehab. That's the first level. Well, first level is detox. And then yeah. you have rehab. And then you have half, and, and rehab is fully structured. You can't go outside the building. You know, you have to have meals together. And then you, um, what we, what 
what happens is then you go down to a halfway house if you're lucky to get in a halfway house, if you choose to get in a halfway house, and then it's a lower level of structure. Um, you can eventually go outside the house and work, but you still have a curfew. You have counselors in the house. So you always have someone there. You have um, house managers. You always have somebody there. Um, and then what's what happened really throughout United States is if you're lucky to get in a halfway house nowadays the funding is so short they don't have funding for um, recovery as much so it's like 30 days rehab three months halfway house so you got what you got four months clean and then you're done and then you got to go go now and you're like well where do I go well go to your where do you where'd you come from right it's usually a bad environment you don't have healthy friends you don't have that support that you need at that time so that's where the gap was that was where the revolving door kept happening why are these people relapsing nobody there's no point in rehab if they keep relapsing well because we found that with um people with addicts you needed you needed um long-term structure and so you needed to slowly step down and so I investigated three-quarter houses, and there were a lot of legitimate three-quarter houses here in Pennsylvania that I actually got involved with. And they they broke it down for me and said, you know, this, is, this has been proven um, throughout the United States, success rate, you know. And so um, a three-quarter house is now you're stepping down from a halfway house. You're going into a controlled environment again, but not as controlled. So you still have a curfew. You get drug test. Um, you have that accountability. You have a house manager. Um, you have to do chores still, but you're surrounded around people that are like-minded, that are doing the exact same thing. And with my my structure is I have it where you can stay there for as long as you need to because I can't tell you after six months you're ready to go spread your wings. I can't tell you that. I don't know. You, mm-hmm. know, you are the only person that knows. So as long as you're following the rules and you're not doing drugs and you're going to meetings as um, I, I, I require you to do, um, then you call the shots. Right. You know? I, and, I, I just spent not to cut you off, Tony. No, but go ahead. It I just spent um a year a year and a half, almost two years in a three quarter house for men. So it's uh exactly what you know, what you're saying. Learning learning to coexist with people and uh just learning how to be a person. It taught me how to be a person, basically. You because know, I've done the rehabs and then the halfway house and then got on my own. Um it, and it's worked for like a time, but like I really think it was so wise to just like I need to just chill in this environment, and you can still leave and still do stuff and still you know have your phone or whatever you need to do. I was going and playing shows and and uh, but it was just like huge changing thing for my life. And, and just to apply a little bit of background to this whole situation and why like three quarter way houses are. Um, not as prevalent as, but they probably should be. Um, three quarter houses are all like personally funded. Um, so the residents pay their own rent. Whereas in like a rehab or a halfway house, 
it's covered by insurance, whether that's state-funded insurance or county-funded insurance or private insurance or whatever. They're paying for these people to get fed and housed and see all these counselors and involved in all these groups, whereas when you get to the three-quarter house level of care, um, that's the point where you're paying for your own way to stay. You're paying your own way through this. You know, you're yes. paying rent, you're working, you're doing whatever you need to do to come up with um, a way to, you know, make sure that your bills are paid, which is also like a big level. Like we talked about this a little bit with Blair, like, you know, some people have never paid bills before, you know, Mm -hmm. they've never had to budget their money. So this is a, another opera, like just a way to gradually transition people into being able to be fully self-supporting. Absolutely, Tony. And honestly, I would say about 80% of the women Mm -hmm. that I get, um, I have to work with them. Yeah. You know, um, I give them a budget like, you know, $400 to stay there, which includes everything, which is great. It's so a rent, great utilities, deal. Yeah. internet. And sometimes, you know, I get it to where, you know, they just can't figure it out. And I just work with them. And I have, matter of fact, I have four girls there that have been there for over a year right now. And Every single one of them struggled with paying rent. They didn't know how to save money, and I worked with them. Now they're just on fire. Um, two of them, uh, one of them got her children back. One of them owns a business now. Mm-hmm. The other one's going to work for Gadenzia. Amazing. Um, the other one's going to college. I mean, it is just insane. How wild is it to watch that progression? Somebody comes in, and they can barely take care of themselves don't buy groceries don't know how to buy groceries don't know how to pay bills don't know that's what happened to me at the gratitude house dude it's like this awakening happened which like i'm 32 years old and i i can't keep my cell phone on even in recovery it was like it was like yeah i'd fucking get money and like every store i went i was like i spent 20 30 you know it's just like dude i've really got to assess every aspect of my life like way outside of the drugs so i'm sure watching this progression with people yeah, I am. Um, been wild. You know, I, I go through the motions in recovery or in, in the three-quarter house because I need to. I need to be on top of everything. I need to find out what everybody's doing and how they're doing emotionally, how they're doing all this stuff. So it's it's a job for me, right? And But then there's times we have a house meeting every Sunday. It's mandatory. We ask the same questions and we go around the circle and they have to, you know, they have to show what they're doing and everything. And uh, matter of fact, yesterday, it's every Sunday at five o'clock, I sat there and, you know, I haven't cried there in well, six months. Or maybe. <laughs> Dude, I was bawling like a baby just because it just sometimes, like right now, it's kind of hitting me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just hits me and go, thank God I, I allowed the universe to just uh, work through me. And just because I am fucking saving lives, you know what I mean? Like, whoa. Right. It's just really powerful, and um, it's I I can't even explain it. It's it's such a beautiful experience, you know. So I have a third floor too, that um that I'm thinking about get, refinancing my house and getting that done. But I was thinking, man, I got nine girls under under me, and it, that's how that, many can stay there. Nine, nine, I up to sixteen if I get the third floor. That's wow. what I got. I went to, um, yeah, I, I changed my variance because uh, my house variance because, you know, I it was such a big house and I could support so many women in that house. But they said I could only do city of area. I could only do six 
three in the bottom three. And I was like, there's no way. Mm-hmm. How am I even going to get this? This house is self-sustainable. So like I count on these women to pay, you know, and and that actually pays for the mortgage. It pays for electricity. It pays oh, for the rent. Of, you, this house was um looked like a beast too when you first, like I remember when you were first opening it, it was not even near. Took me nine months. Of renovations. Of renovations. And I was there every single day. I lost 15 pounds and I was just sweating tears and I was there 12 hours a day. Like, I didn't see my daughter for nine months. Mm-hmm. Like my mom just took her and I just did it. I just full force and. So this house is not a moneymaker, you know what I mean? And I and I actually went in thinking I could do what I want. I mean, not I could do what I want, but I can I can actually do something good for the community and I can make a little money on the side. This right. is like perfect. Well, when I got involved with the nonprofit for the three quarter houses, Westpar, they were like, "Listen, Jess, I got to tell you, if the, if you're in it for the money." You got to get a different career, right? <laughs> and and they really made that point to me. And then I had to really sit down and say, "Am I in it for the money?" And then I thought, you know what? Nope. Mm-hmm. No, I'm in it to save lives, baby. And then I was like, <laughs> "All right." So I didn't have this expectation that I was gonna like right. kill it financially make and a million. make yeah. a million. <laughs> you know, I can barely sometimes get these girls to pay me. You know, so but. Uh, yeah, so like I was saying, I um I want to open up this third floor, but I don't know if I can handle more than nine girls, right? Mm-hmm. I have to be honest with myself. You got to think that's a lot more That's people, a lot. A lot more issues. Yeah, especially yeah. just like interpersonal between like the residents and stuff, you know what I mean? 16 people all in one house, that's... I have a lot of applications and I hate turning people away. Yeah. It bothers me. So this is what I think I'm going to do. I sat with it and just prayed about it and just let the answers come to me when they were ready. I think I'm going to turn it into an apartment mm-hmm. and have like the senior members actually go up there. Like level up almost. Level up. And yeah. then because some of them are like, I don't want to leave her home, but I also don't want to be with nine other women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm like, maybe this is the solution. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a good plan. And, a lot of places, I'm sure that even with uh, her home, the way it is currently, there's probably certain um, things that they have to earn. You know what I mean? Certain rewards for, you know, okay, you have a job now or, okay, you're allowed this privilege. You can go home for the weekend or back to your hometown or, you know, whatever the situation is, you know, stay out past curfew one night a week or however um, it works there. So it seems like a kind of a a good progression for a lot of the women there mm-hmm. that don't want to leave but are still looking for a little bit level of a little bit higher level of freedom. Yep. And that that's a scary thing too for a lot of people I know in my recovery I kept earning gradually higher levels of freedom as my journey continued as it, as it kept going, you know, at first I wasn't allowed I couldn't drive because my license was suspended and I didn't have a car. Um then I was on house arrest for a while. And every time that this new doorway to freedom, you know, getting my license, going back to school, all these things were, they were a big undertaking because I didn't know if I was ready to trust myself with that level of freedom yet because I was trying to cling on to what I had. You know, I didn't want to lose this recovery thing. I didn't want to go back to where I was and making it a smooth transition for people to gradually work their way to that till to the point where they're living completely independently um 
is really, really critical. Yeah. I have two girls right now that have been over there, been there for over a year. And we had a girl come in that is allergic to dogs. So I had to tell the girl she can't, she has to to take her dog back to her mom's. And Mm -hmm. she was really upset with me. And I said, I'm sorry, but I can't choose your dog over this girl, you know? So she's like, all right, well, I'm going to go look for an apartment. So she, I said, why don't you hook up with somebody else here too? So you have somebody that keeps so, you accountable. Yeah. So she found somebody that's got a year too, and she's ready to live with her kids now. So they find an apartment. She calls me yesterday, calls me yesterday and says, I'm scared. I, I, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm afraid, you know? And I said, you have each other now. You can do this. And she says, but what if? And I said, you can do this, you know? So I am empowering her, but. If I had that other floor, mm-hmm. it would have been like, what's, I'm not really the best in math. What's after three quarter? Uh, seven eighths. Is it seven eighths? It would be like a seventh eighth house. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, because some people are just like, it's it's working, but I know like it's time to move, but they're just afraid. Like you were saying, like, what if? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? At the three quarter I, I was at, um, they... There was, you know, you had same thing, Sunday night meetings. We have to be doing 12 steps. COVID kind of fucked that up. Um, it, it it got a little messy for a while on like, because I actually got COVID when I was at the house and mm. with all these other people Ooh, there. Oh, yeah, that sounds. Um, but somehow I stayed in my room and and, <laughs> uh, and I didn't get anybody else sick. Um, but where's I going? Um, oh, the, one of the main things is you have to work a 12-step program. It doesn't matter if it's AA. It doesn't matter if it's NA. And I have to accredit that to the reason that we had so little issues. Mm-hmm. Because you would be surprised at how little issues. Now, I don't know if girls you know, would be worse. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, we were pretty chill. There was a couple people that came through that you knew – I hate to say that, but you kind of knew they weren't there for the right reasons. They just needed a place to stay. Um, and they didn't treat the house respectfully. But the people that did the best was like they took it serious. They hit their meetings. They weren't forging slips. Um, and and we apply. it was obvious. We applied the spiritual principles of our 12-step program to how we lived um, and coexisted with other people. And it, it makes was, a huge it, difference. Dude, it really was crazy. I, there was days when I was like, I can't believe how well this works. Mm-hmm. And it only works because we're – each of us are applying our own spiritual principles to everything we do, even when it comes down to dishes. Absolutely. You know, should I go cook a giant feast and, and then leave the dishes for like two weeks? That's probably going to cause problems. Right, right. right. <laughs> so yeah. it's, uh, and even in, and it's, and I did that for so long um, that now I apply those same spiritual principles to like where I'm living now and how I act now. Um, but yeah, the, you got to wonder people that go we we talked about this i think last podcast what people go to like a 14-day program and then i gotta get back for my kids i gotta get back to work i gotta get back to my house and it's like and you just see this vicious cycle to where they're hitting 20 30 40 50 rehabs and then they just die or something um the three-quarter option i think is such a beautiful thing and it's because of people like you that go out of pocket and personally start doing this thing um yeah you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I, is I, there any other uh, three quarter for women in Erie? No, 
It's just us. You filled a massive Huge void. void. Massive void. Massive void, yes. And so I'm kind of waiting. I thought this would pave the path for other women to mm-hmm. do it. You know, I, I am waiting for somebody to come up with another three-quarter house. And I, I, it's like I have the... I have it all laid out. I could just like totally guide you right guide through them this. Right through it. Like here's the schematic. Here it is. You know, we need more, and so um, I I'm ready to help somebody. You know, my my one of my spiritual teachers taught me, um, you know, to be a master is not to have students, but to make masters. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like that's like my motto like come on man let's let's stand side by side and just like kick some ass it's one of those things too you have no idea what ripple effect you're causing mm-hmm. you know you get into this because you want to help people and then you help somebody and now they want to help somebody and then now a hundred years from now you know what i mean it's very plausible hundred that people are still being affected by this trickle that you're creating in the community. Right. Yeah. So like what I did with her home, um, it's I'm married and everything, but it's in my name. It's in my my loan. It's in my name and everything. And so I'm turning it, um, it over to um, my uh, two of the girls that I picked in the program. Um, and I'm already, I'm getting, it's in the process right now. So like... Um, I, if I, anything ever happens to me, if I die, if I get divorced, whatever, if I have a stroke and I just, I can't think anymore, you know what God, I mean? God forbid. God right. forbid. We, God need, forbid. we need you, Jesse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you never know though, right? I'm kind of morbid that way. Yeah. But I have these girls <laughs> that are going to just step up and, and then if something when hap- and, and so I'm going to have it in the, the clause where it's not really theirs either. Mm-hmm. They're just running it. And then when they're ready to bounce, they got to give it to two more. And it's always two because I think like, you know, you, you know, it's, just, it's good to have a partner. Yeah. Voice of reason. Absolutely. Right. So, yeah, I have my friend Kayla Barber and Anena. Um, what's Nana's last name? Oh. Anyhow, Nina, I know who you're talking about. Th- them too. Yeah. Them too that I'm I'm giving it. It's like theirs if anything yeah. happens to me. It's amazing. And so like if I even if I get divorced or anything, my I already told my husband like it, it's not in your name. I already wrote a postnuptial type yeah. thing. I was like you can't You can't have this. Well, it's not because I want it to be around for 100 years. Like mm-hmm. I just want it to be there. I just want it to be I don't need need to have the legend name or anything. I just I, and I truly believe this. Women have always had we've always had the bottom of the barrel like it's just never been an opportunity for us ever and um and I just I'm done with that I'm like I'm tired of seeing it I'm tired of of having like resentments over that like you know it's not that I'm I'm just this super like you know, all women rights and like men suck and everything. But I love men. Trust me. I love my men. But (laughs) I'm done seeing us getting the scraps. I'm I'm done. And so like if I could empower just one woman to empower another woman to make masters, you know what? I'm going to do it. And so. And you see this on so many different levels. I was just talking with a friend last night who's, a woman and she's looking to buy a car and she's getting like mistreated by all of these people when she's trying to go to any car dealership to buy a truck you know everybody's trying to you know rip her off or treating her like a child or like 
um she doesn't know anything and all this stuff and she was like you know what this is awful but i'm going to have to bring a guy with me next time i go to look at a like look to buy a truck or bring me or bring you (laughs) bring somebody that that isn't going to take their shit and she's a strong person you know what i mean she has a bold personality and she does her research and she's not stupid um but when people see her as an attractive woman especially in like fields where women aren't known to be like super knowledgeable about like buying cars and not to say that women aren't to be yeah exactly not to say that women aren't and she's very smart and has been doing her research and knows what she's looking for um but the 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 bias is already so there and it's so ingrained Mm-hmm. And it and it sucks to hear people have to say that like she wants to be independent. She's trying to do this on her own mm-hmm. and get um get a car for her that or a truck that'll last for a while and you know that she can be happy with. And it's just been um it's been like an ongoing process for I've heard about this for like a month now. And she just keeps having these negative experiences whenever she goes to a dealership and is like, hey, I'm looking for such and such a truck that you had on your website and. Uh, it's just really disappointing. It is sad that that, I mean, it's it it's becomes very obvious to see, you know, especially being in the system of addiction and three quarter house and halfway house and rehabs. Um, I can see it has been obvious that that glaring hole of like, you know, what about the ladies, right? Um, and it's weird that that kind of stuff is like tucked deep into the fabric of our society, right? And even the- down to buying a car, but it it is. Uh, and as we look at this stuff more and more as, as you know time mm-hmm. goes on it, it seems more and more obvious and yeah. i'm glad that people like you and pe- people in general are working to fix that and I, I i do feel oh. like there's like three elements to this though i thought about it you know why me why did you know it's um first you got to have the experience right you just have to have that background of recovery right mm-hmm. you just have to have it you know and then you have to have a fire in your belly you just got to have that and financially secure. Like, you know, I, I grew up not having a lot of money, but always hustling and always working my butt off. And somewhere, somehow I forgot to, how to do dishes. Like you were saying, you know what I mean? I had to pay bills. <laughs> right. So I had to start again. And then I just kept moving forward. I didn't stop moving forward. And now I'm in a place, my husband and I, and I'm, I'm fi- financially secure. And so those three components do you know do have to be together you have to have experience you have to have the fire in your belly and you have to be almost financially secure to be able to do something like this because it takes money it takes time it takes effort it takes information and knowledge and then to have the fire in your belly so I feel like for females you know um, sometimes there's that one element missing and sometimes it's just about confidence and 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 trusting the universe, you know, that, and so any, I, I feel now that I've done this and I didn't know why, what I was going to gain out of this. And I tell you what, the biggest thing I've gained out of this whole thing Mm -hmm. was Jesse, you can do anything you want. And I, I never, like I said earlier, I never really, I said it, but I never really believed it. And, and and now I'm saying it to women, you can do anything you want. Mm -hmm. All you got to have, you know, is the fire in your belly, the confidence, information. And, and luckily for me, you know, financially I was able to do that. So that's why I do think there's a gap there, you know what I mean? Those three things. And then the 
in Erie, we have the CCC Center. We have what the Salvation Army. Uh, what else? Erie City Mission. The City Snow Mission. House. The Snow House. The uh, Gate. Gratitude House. Gratitude House. So many things for men, but because men have kind of a leg up and they kind of empower each other, and they say, you know, oh yeah, you know, that they kind of understand that already almost where women they need that another woman to say look i did it it's not that hard it's not that have you mm-hmm. thought about doing another one um nine women's a lot yeah <laughs> i i keep saying that and and earlier we were saying you know, i don't know how it is for women but women can be high maintenance you know yeah, right women can be and it takes a certain... I've grown to know that from my mother. Do you? She will fuck me up, dude. <laughs> oh, my God. She's, she still terrifies me, man. Yeah. I wish I could conjure some of her strength when it comes to oh, discipline in my son. It, you remind me a lot of my mom. Really? Yeah. Very pretty little lady. And she, I can just tell she would fuck me up, you know? Well, oh, she has, but right. with yeah. you, same thing. I can you, tell you, you would piece me up. You know, it's funny that you said that. <laughs> that is hilarious. My husband just said to me the other day, he said, what you, and I don't even know why we were talking about this, but he said, you know, you're kind of like the person that, um, like if you're playing, he's like, the best way to describe you is if you're playing chicken and you got two cars going after each other, you're probably the person that's not going to swerve. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I said, really? But I've never, you know, never wanted to kill you or anything. He said, but you, you probably have it in you. <laughs> if, you if you needed to, if it got there. Uh, Another thing I took from what you were saying was the experience. And I think that's a lot of what this podcast has become about is like, yeah, these people... I mean, in some senses, like the scum of society, right? But with that experience, it takes a certain person to help other addicts. It's like anytime you went to rehab, it was like the one counselor that had actually been an addict was like the one that was the like... I the one that everybody wanted to have. Like, I love that counselor. Like right. Des Kane. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah, he it, got it. You, well, he, he'd be like, dude, I fucking, you know... And I know I know Des from active addiction. We talked about him on here before. We're trying to actually get him as a guest. You know Des? Mm-hmm. I used yeah. to I used to buy pills from Des in Pittsburgh, <laughs> and years ago. <laughs> oh wow! So when we saw each other, it had been such a long time that like we didn't realize for like two weeks. So that made me trust him even more. Mm-hmm. Like because I, you know, he lived yeah. in like some nitrous den, like selling pills, <laughs> and now he was like running a facility. So I knew he was the real deal. And that's a certain kind of experience you can't go to school for and you can't pay no. for. Um, and there's a connection forever. So I that that is a, one of the beautiful things. Um, it's like he's been on the other side of the fence. Yeah, right. and, and that's I mean. a beautiful part of addiction is like, well, now you have this untapped knowledge of uh, how you guided through these feelings and how you can ultimately help other people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't I can't tell you how many times I've lost things. Like just I had things and then just boom, it was gone. And so like just that experience alone um no, it, that gives me the the sense that like if my house burnt down, I'd be sad. I'd be like this sucks, but I'm good. Yeah. Cuz I don't cuz I've experienced I don't really need anything. I've been 30 with a with the trash bag of clothes and yes. a, re- a repoed car and 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 you get that. And <laughs> right. Tony, you get that exactly. too. Like we that's things yeah. that like that you have to experience to understand that material stuff is pointless. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot to, you know, to really fuck, fuck me up in the head. I'm like, ah, 
I've seen worse. most of it. Yeah, exactly. I've seen way worse. Yeah, yeah. Another interesting thing <laughs> that I've been thinking about too, as we were talking about gender and the different things that are going on, is that in most rehabs you do see like primarily male population, but then when you look at the staff, almost all women every single time anywhere I've been, and I don't I don't know why that is, but it see I I don't know it's just something that was interesting that mm. kind of sparked my my imagination right there um and you would think with an all women staff or population or or like population of staff um there would be more advocates out there for women doing this kind of stuff and getting them into treatment and getting them um helping empower them and that's not to say that there aren't people that don't go out there but it's still like a, a largely missed role as we yeah well you know like we've learned it's attraction not promotion right mm-hmm. so it has to take somebody to get out there to pave the path and you know and that's that's and that's why i'm here to say hey if you're ready i'll help you pave that path too right what are the stipulations for getting into her home well they have to fill an application out um i uh I just that you know I look at the application they obviously have to have some clean time they have to be in rehab um, I'd like to see them because like I said the right way to go is rehab halfway house three-quarter house I'd like to see somebody from a halfway house apply but a lot of times there's no room for females so they can't they have to skip that step there isn't a like we said there isn't a halfway house well there, community there's, house there's community okay. house but and grace it, house kind of I don't know if that's still a thing anymore. No, that's not a thing. They're actually, I heard they're going back into the pro, having that program, which is super good. That's mm-hmm. really good. But um, it's still in community house. So anyhow, I, I, you know, they have to have some clean time. And then it just, I, I, it's hard to explain. Like, usually I'm able to like read it. Now that I got a year and a half experience in this, I'm able to read it and kind of get a feel for if I if I want to even have an interview with them, mm-hmm. and then if I have an interview with them, I I I just let them talk. And there's certain questions that I do ask that uh, I just know certain things. I can't explain it. Like I just know like really where they're at, and 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 sometimes I'm accurate, and they come in and they're killing it. And other times I'm like, oh, I missed that one. <laughs> I missed that mark. You know, but. It's like a dating site, you know. It's like the online dating site. You gotta kind of be able to read through some yeah, stuff, right? So that's really it. It's not a lot of. In a lot of times, they don't even have any money. They don't have a job, and so like I, I always say, I'll work with you. I'll work with you, you know. And so, yeah. How common is it for somebody to come in and within two weeks, it's like, oh, this person's getting high? Uh no, we haven't had that, but it's the behaviors we see. You yeah. know, they. You know, obviously, a lot, you know, you have behaviors anyways, and mm-hmm. you have to work through them and stuff. But there's certain things that people just won't listen. It's the repetitive behaviors. And it's like, you know, are they here for the right reasons? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Are they here to just to stay out of jail, get their kid back? Um, you know, or did they actually miss a step? Should they have done the halfway house? Because they're not ready for this. Have you ever had to... Rem- like uh evict a client just based on behaviors like they yeah. weren't yeah. getting high but they were just causing trouble with the other women well i tell you what there's drugs out there that you can't you can't detect right and you just but being 
an addict yourself. You You just know. know. And you don't, and and what I've learned is some of the girls, they want to give, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm like, come on, dude. You know, you know. Right. And so. You've been telling these same stories to your significant other, mom, whoever for all the time. Exactly. So we're like, listen, this, I'll give you experience or some, a story. We had this girl and I was like, listen, like, I can't prove that you're using, but something's going on with you. So like, you need to go back to rehab and, and I knew she was going to say, I'm not using. And she did. And I said, well, then you need to check yourself in a mental institution. Right. <laughs> something's wrong with you. You know what I mean? But you can't stay here because you're toxic to the other women. And I almost had to call the police, you know what I mean? But it worked out well. And I mean, other than that, I mean, it's been pretty, it's been pretty good. These women, like, just sometimes they're like, yeah, I'm out. I know, you know? I think some of them just, like, need that shot, like, that opportunity. Like, they've never had a chance like this before. And they just see that and they grab onto it and they, you know, run full speed ahead and it's amazing it is amazing do you guys remember when bath salts came out oh yeah yes initially when you could buy them in the in the in the gas stations and shit i never bought them i was working at gadenzia when they came out i was living in a three-quarter house in can or clinton ohio and same thing every it dude it destroyed the whole place and they couldn't tell that we were on them um and it it just was mayhem, right? Because mm-hmm. you're everybody's like losing mad weight, everybody's getting real shady. There's fights breaking out. All this. Shit. I mean, I watched those undetected drugs completely destroy that kind of setup. And I think for the most part, some of those are dis- you know gone unless you're right ordering them off the dark web or something. Yeah. Well, you have gabapentin, just yeah. the other things. Kava. It, things are gone, but then other things come. Oh yeah, we, I'm, I'm sure there's drugs out now that we don't even know. We're we're too old school. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I've turned gullible, which is a good <laughs> yeah. thing, right? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, blessed enough to just believe things. Yeah. I fear that about my son. Me me and his mom are both addicts. And uh, he's got some behaviors going on. Um, and I mean, obviously, super hopeful. I'm sure it'll be just fine. But it makes me worry, like, what kind of crazy-ass drugs are going to be out in, like, oh. 2035? Like, what the fuck? Right. And we're going to be uh, the old, be old men so not detached know, and, and be like, yeah. not know what's going on. We smoked weed out of a bowl. Right. Yeah, you <laughs> see like... how they smoke weed now? It's like a... They, they got like a torches and fucking nails. People are taking dabs. <laughs> I whenever, know. Whenever you have to use a blowtorch to do your drugs, Jeez. I feel like you got to start recognizing that that's a problem. Yeah. Dude, from the time I got clean first and, like, 2011 to the time I relapsed weed had take taken such a quantum leap like the first time I smoked again Mm -hmm. it was like weed I was like oh my god it was in (laughs) dude it was fucked up it was drugs have uh yeah. Come a long it's not way. getting any better, dude. I, it's not it's, getting any It's getting better. more synthetic. Yeah. It's. I mean, I was doing homegrown weed that, like, there was more seeds in it and stems than yeah. the actual bud. It's right. <laughs> that was what yeah. I was doing. We're digging through all those things, spending like a half hour just picking out <laughs> seeds and stems to roll a blunt, and now you just got like this amazing fucking shit that you can smell through walls oh i was driving the other day and i couldn't get it out of my car i don't even know how it got like just from driving (laughs) right it's crazy when when we went to california me and some friends literally every single time we got out of the van just it smelled like weed 
everywhere we went. It didn't matter if we were going to the hotel or if we were going to a restaurant or any like park. I got to tell you, in 10 years from now, mark my words, 10 years, maybe 15, they're going to realize that 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 was a bad idea to um, legalize legalize it, dude, because you guys know it's a gateway. It don't matter. It's a gateway, and it's going to be more synthetic and stronger and stronger. You're, next thing you know, you're going to be shooting weed. I mean, something crazy is right. going to come out of it, and it's not going to be good. Like they're legalizing um, shrooms now. Yeah, in Oregon, and it, it, dude, I'm telling you, I ketamine. Well, I'm hearing about ketamine. Well, there's also it's also interesting though because I did a lot. I did a fair. I had to write a paper um, for school, and. I was, we were writing it about addiction. Our, our professor was like, we, I want to do this about the opioid epidemic. And I'm like, I'm going to do something a little bit different. And I'm going to do my paper on how people are using mushrooms and ecstasy and DMT and stuff to treat like PTSD and depression and all these things. And a lot of it is very, the efficacy rate is very high, you know, especially considering the efficacy rate in general of psychotropic drugs like so like you know zoloft or gabapentin or xanax or any of those other things that they use to treat mental health and they're finding these like rock star numbers from you know sitting in a room with a psychiatrist or a doctor um and talking through past traumatic stress or depression or whatever under like significant doses of psilocybin mushrooms like or a controlled setting yeah um, so it's, you know, I don't like to look at things as black and white no, anymore. You know absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, if you have cancer and you're going to take Vicodin as opposed to mushrooms or not mushrooms, smoke but like weed. smoke weed, I would say 100%. Yeah, I'm going to be smoking weed. But I know what you're saying, though, that it we're going to see results of this that isn't just like the, the clear upside right. Right, that, that everybody's talking about 24 7. There's going to be. You know. Nobody ever talks about that, yeah. and that thing that's exactly because we get it, mm-hmm. because we get it, we know. Right. You know, all it takes is somebody with the um, a bad environment or just not a controlled environment, somebody that's got some emotional issues. I mean, and you're a perfect formula. Right. It is. It is that recipe is pretty easy to come by. It is. It is one of those topics that is a catch twenty two for me because part of me says legalize it all or decriminalize it all and make safe places and put the money into recovery yeah treatment once they hit their rock bottom of like private prisons and Mm -hmm. locking people up yep there's so many people in jail that just needed help absolutely and they're not getting it there at all it's making it's making things worse so part of me is like when i heard that in oregon they leave or they decriminalized all drugs and you can get caught with crack and 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 be fine Mm -hmm. you get a citation or whatever thought of that is like what the fuck Right. And then I'm thinking, well, I guess we'll see how it pans out. But if they could take somebody that's like maybe mandatory help. Because if, you, if you're smoking crack, I feel like very, very rare case would it be just a casual user. Like I, once in a while, I'll get a little bit of crack. You know, right. no big deal. Yeah. But if yeah. They could, instead of slamming that person in jail, if they could do something, you know, spend that money getting them help or something i can see where that would be right plus side to it and yeah. and that would be great but like from my own personal experience i don't want to waste a therapist or a facility's time working with somebody who's not interested in being in, them. And they're just there because they're just there them. because yeah. they they're there and that's what they have to do in order to get back out so they can get high again or think that they can just put it down or you know whatever the situation may be um 
and a lot of these facilities are already you know super overcrowded and underfunded and Mm -hmm. people like therapists are overworked and addiction is such a baffling thing even to science and and government it's obvious that nobody has the answer and i Mm -hmm. think that's the beautiful thing about 12-step programs is like they're it's it's weird because in the mass scale of things it doesn't really seem talked about Mm -hmm. we talk about it and hear about it because we're involved but there has been this like proven way that can help people in that predicament but like it's very obvious like this whole war on drugs and the jail and like the legalize it decriminalize it lock people up for 30 years for a joint which it's like it's all nobody knows what the fuck to do Mm -hmm. with addicts you know, I mean, even Bill and Bob, you know, the doctors were baffled. Everybody was baffled. Um, there is a um, saying, and I'm not really good uh, at saying it verbatim, but I know that like Mother Teresa, you know, she was the person that helped um, all these homeless, all people. these homeless. And then she, she helped a suffering alcoholic and, um, she even said that uh, with her experience of helping all around the world that the only person that really truly can help another suffering addict or alcoholic is another addict or alcoholic Mm -hmm. and and that was like her her words right there that like you know we with that experience we can do that right and so i i I like to look just from like working in the field and coming around for a while i also want to say that like to anybody out there that may be listening that may be struggling or if um you're looking for a way to find it it doesn't have to be 12 we don't own like the copyright on how to recover oh yeah i mean this works great for me it works great for us and it works great for a lot of people um but there's there's so many different ways for people to you know, live a better life. And I don't have to force or mandate or say this is the only way anymore for people to do it. It's a great way. And I encourage everybody to at least give it a shot. If you're working with this, give it an honest shot, be open-minded, you know, be willing and participate. Um, But there are still other options out there. You know, I I totally agree. I do think there's people that going to meetings one time and they might hear the word God or think it's a little cultish mm-hmm. and they just, it's not, they me. close the door immediately. And I don't, and think that's, that's not a real shot. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree. I don't want to preach. This is the to, only way to, yeah. To do things. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, you know, both sides of the spectrum. There's the left, there's the right. And then the truth always lies in the middle, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So like you said, it's not black and white. Right. And I think there are people who get, dropped in these situations that may not always 100% be an addict you know what I mean they just have an addiction no wait a minute how is it they just have a um, dependency a dependency right and as soon as they clean up they're like oh well that was that was a good run well I'm done doing that right yeah you know somebody may go through like a rough patch whether it's a something traumatic you know divorce death uh, whatever it is, losing your job, you know, all of these situations that people get depressed over and they turn to these coping skills and then they're like, wow, this, this has been really bad. I'm not doing this anymore. And they go back to their, their old way of living before they went through this traumatic experience, you know, because they were a functioning, happy, healthy 
productive human being, you know, and they didn't have these kinds of issues with like homelessness or joblessness or um, transportation. Financial. They were a happy little kid. All right. They were a happy little kid yeah. that just got into something. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. They don't have that that deep overwhelming need like some of us do to to fill this void to get away from whatever it is that's making us upset. And it's really difficult to recognize that sometimes because especially like when I've been going to NA meetings and going to, you know, working in an inpatient rehab and seeing people like that are mandated to be here, like not accepting it. And it's easy to be like, if this person's in denial that I'm treating in, in a rehab, then like this person obviously is full of shit. You know what I mean? Like they're an addict they're full-blown you know what i mean all of this stuff when in reality they just need a little bit of time and separation mm-hmm. from that drug to reacclimate themselves and maybe yeah. even like if a, if there were like a three-quarter way house for these people that are like struggling with like homelessness like i went through a divorce lost his job you know whatever or a woman um going through these issues and they just need a place to to lay their head down for a little bit you know and be we able group. to get regroup financially supported learn how to do dishes again right right <laughs> learn how to get out of bed and take a shower again yes. you know what i mean um that shit's huge man it's so big and it, it's it, really a big part it's of such it a me. it's such a big you know part of this epidemic you know what i mean um this drug epidemic that we're mm-hmm. going through that like some people just need some time yeah to get their shit back together and, and and a cheerleader, or right? Somebody, somebody, somebody to, support, to support them, right? Say, hey, you can do this, man. You know, uh, I tell you what, you too. You guys are really like just chill. I love it. Like I was nervous coming in here, but this is really great. I feel like I could do this for another two hours. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I, it, it's a good time. You know, we really enjoy I really this podcast. Appreciate it. Well, yeah. when you are like the exact type of person that we love and talked about having on here and and while you're talking and i'm thinking of what's going on and what's being said and for me if like even if a family member of you know of somebody who's an addict can sit and and listen to this and and say like you know what it's not too late you know right that's that's i don't know that's a gift you know it's our it's our way of of giving back you know it's all about hope right it's just hope you know you just put the hope out there because like i was hopeless and now and now i'm able to spread hope Mm -hmm. it's it yeah and those are i think those are the people the real casualties of addiction is like the families a lot of times because the addict can get better and the addict can change their life some of the stuff you know, just with conversations with my mom, mm-hmm. there's emotional scars and damages I've caused her that, like, I right. that I think still Same. probably haunt her. You know? Oh yeah. And she's she told me within the last year, like, I can finally sleep at night. Yeah. It's not all better, but I can sleep at night. Yeah. Um, but you never think about that when you're using. Right. Apparently, my mom. Like, why do you? I don't give a fuck about me. Why would you give a fuck about? You me? think it's only a personal problem, right? But like you said in the house people come and they bring their personal problems and then it becomes everybody's everybody's problem problem because it is toxic and contagious and it comes down to attitude and 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 it's easy to think like my actions or my behaviors only affect myself you know at least when i was uh still in active addiction you know like i'm only affecting myself these people are making a choice to be concerned or to be worried about these situations and they just don't need to do that they just need to stop when in reality like nobody lives in a vacuum 
we are all part of the same system and all of our behaviors affect one another. Um, but at the same time, you got to find that balance, right, too. I can't let other people dictate and control my life when I'm in a, a situation that involves another person. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really got to find that happy medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. It's funny that you say that because my mom, she gives every, uh, for my my sobriety birthday, my recovery birthday was October 28th, my first one. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be 17 years this year. And my mom, she she has it in her little calendar and every (laughs) October 28th, she gives me a card and says how happy she is. And when I reintroduced, I thought, you know what? It's not even necessary. I'm not even going to say anything to her because I know that I'm not going anywhere as long as I just continue to work on myself and I stick around. But she doesn't know that and I don't want to scare her, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm still celebrating. It's just a different day. You know what I mean? Right. I just... And and that's part of the steps too. You know, when you're making those amends, there's a clause in there about um, making amends whenever possible as long as it doesn't harm other yeah. people. Yeah. And sometimes we have to bear that burden ourselves in order to not cause harm yeah. to other people so it's i wouldn't really call that like a bad thing it's funny because like my mom's gonna listen to this too is she yeah she's oh like no super, she's like super pumped but she's after she you know is sitting here hearing me i think she's gonna be confident she'll be you know okay I, mean? I got five years now so i mean it's not like i have six right. months you know what i mean yeah so yeah and you gotta yeah. be thankful that it was just uh a just slip, a moment a in moment. time yeah and you caught it yeah and i and i really do believe i caught it because um because i'm i was awake because i just i never stopped going to meetings you had a foundation that allowed you a foundation yeah and the awareness and I, i'll tell you what from experience without that foundation and something like that happens it's not a good spot no and, right. and the awareness dude i always say to be aware is to be alive because if i'm not aware i I'm really in a bad place because I'm in denial and mm-hmm. I don't even know I'm in denial, you know? So to be aware and, and, and I was aware, but I wasn't super aware. And that's why I had all those strong teachers around me mm-hmm. to tell me what I couldn't see for myself. That's why it's super important to be involved. And turn you into a master. And right. Turn it, me into a master. Right. That's and right. that's such a big part of it too, is having, like, I, I thought I knew shit early recovery you don't know shit right i didn't know a damn thing and i still don't know and i still need like these people that have been there before and have the experience and the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to show me what's important and what's you know what i need to do yeah show me how to live show me how to live Woo! yeah baby this is (laughs) awesome good see we are so grateful that you came yeah it's been amazing this has been an awesome podcast absolutely We appreciate what you're doing, for and real. And I think Erie County appreciates what you're doing. I think I appreciate what you guys are doing. Like this is some beautiful things are really happening in the in Erie, and people don't know about it. And you guys are spreading the love. We're hoping to. We're That's I the goal. I love it. That's Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Jesse. Takes a village. Right. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.